So Money, episode 386, Grant Baldwin. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Today's episode is brought to you by Stamps.com. Welcome to So Money, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Thanks for joining me. I can't wait to unleash today's episode. This is an interview that I was learning a ton from. We're going to learn how to build a speaking career and get paid to talk. Now, I have some of my revenue streams come from speaking. And I think the challenge for me is just getting uh, more opportunities to speak. I think I would love to do more speaking. I just have a hard time networking um, in that world a little bit. A lot of times my speaking opportunities come to me. So I want to be a little more proactive. And sometimes it's kind of a challenge to know what to ask for in return. You know, uh, is there a budget? How much is too much to ask for? I don't like you know, going and talking for free, especially if I have to travel to talk for free and spend days getting to the event is just for me at this stage of my life, not something that I really want to um, invest my time in. So how do I kind of get those really (laughs) sweet paying gigs? And that's a question that I had for our guest today is Grant Baldwin. He's the creator of the Booked and Paid to Speak training program. So if you're looking to make a living out of speaking engagements, whether you're a novice, you're in the midst of this, or you're a pro, today's episode is catered for you. Grant is a nationally known keynote speaker and author, and uh, he is a fellow podcaster as well. He hosts the show, How Did You Get Into That?, has over 30,000 listeners every month, and has been ranked the number one show in careers on iTunes. As a speaker, Grant has given hundreds of presentations. He's spoken to over 400,000 people in 45 different states through leadership conferences, conventions, and other events. So he is the expert, capital E. Grant also has a book and curriculum entitled Reality Check, which is taught in over 400 schools all across the states. So with Grant, we talk about first getting started, the three questions he thinks everybody should ask themselves before diving into a speaking career. The marketing tools that could really benefit you in order to present yourself well and to get those great speaking opportunities. And why opening up a credit card is like getting married. We talk a little about money as well with Grant. Here we go. Here's Grant Baldwin. Grant Baldwin, welcome to So Money. I can't believe it's taken me so long to connect with you voice to voice. We've been at the same conferences, but uh, you're just too, you're just hard to to nail down, man. So no, no, you can't put that back on me. No, I've just <laughs> there. I just sit by the uh, my, my Skype. I sit by email all day, every day, waiting. This could be the day that Farnoosh emails. Oh come nope, on! Not the day. Well, but I'm it, glad it to be making happened. your day because you're making mine. Thanks for coming <laughs> on the show. Uh, you know. When people think of Grant Baldwin, people in our personal finance world, FinCon world, we think of you as really the premier expert for helping others learn how to generate income from speaking. And this is something that you've done yourself very successfully. And I want to, I want to learn more. I mean, I think I do a pretty okay job getting paid to speak, but I would love to increase that revenue stream. So help me and help others, Grant. Let's start there. Let's talk about Getting out there more, speaking. I think a lot of my listeners are 
in many, many of them perhaps are experts in their fields and would love to have that be a potential revenue stream. So how do you even get started? When you have yeah. not done anything like this and how do you even get, I mean, it's easy to go and get paid and speak somewhere for free, but how do you actually get the paid the big bucks? Yeah, that's, that's a great question. So I think, and speaking is one of the things that's just, uh, it's very glamorous and sexy and it's alluring and it's just, there's something about being on stage in front of an audience and that you know that you have them with you and you're taking them on this journey that is just exhilarating. There's just nothing quite like, uh, that live speaking. And so to the answer the question of, of how do you actually get into this? How do you actually get going? How do you find bookings? How do you know how much to charge and all of that? I know we'll probably get into more uh, details on it, but uh, the nutshell is uh, let's, I always challenge speakers uh, and people interested in speaking to start by answering three foundational questions. So first of all, number one is why do you want to speak? And kind of along those same lines, it's like, how does speaking fit into your business? Because when I first got started, there was a, I wanted to speak full time. Like that was all I was interested in. I wasn't interested in like coaching or consulting or having a book or, or being like a, a brand or a personality. I just wanted to speak. And so there's some people who may be listening who fall into that category. There's other people who would say, uh, I, uh, you'd, you'd kind of be like this where you you don't necessarily want to speak 50, 60 times a year, but you'd probably love to do, you know, 10, 20 of the right types of engagements and connecting mm-hmm. with your audience and uh, kind of being the, this brand or this personality that speaking is just one piece of what it is that you're doing. There's other people that I know that, that we've worked with who uh, they have some type of product that they want to sell, either uh, coaching or consulting or a book. And so part of the reason that they choose to speak is it's more of a lead generation source. So I'll give you a great example. There was a, um, a student of ours I, was just, I just met a couple weeks ago at, a, at an event. And he said uh, he uses speaking. Uh, he always speaks for free intentionally, but for him, it's primarily a lead tool. Uh, and so he has picked up in the past 11 months, $372,000 in new coaching business because wow. he's speaking at the right business, at the, at the right conferences and the right events. So like on paper, it's easy to it's look like at and be like, marketing. oh, totally, totally. Yeah. yeah. So, but on paper, it's like, oh, so he speaks for free. It's like, eh, well, he's doing well in <laughs> other ways, you know? So he's, he's leveraging the speaking to generate business in other ways. So first of all, like just figuring out why, why is it that you want to speak and how do you see speaking kind of fitting into your business? Uh, the other two questions would be, uh, who do you want to speak to and what you, and what do you want to speak about? And these are questions that you really, really want to nail. You really want to have a good understanding and they can, they can evolve and change over time as your business evolves. And as you kind of figure out what works, what the market's looking for and all those pieces, but really thinking through of who you want to speak to and what you want to speak about, you know, a meaning that like this, um, you know, Farnoosh, you've published some books before. So if you were getting ready to pitch a book proposal, uh, to an agent or a publisher, and they were to ask you who the book is for, and you were to say, well, it's, it's for humans. It's for everybody. Everybody should read this book. And okay, well, what's it about? It's just about, it's about (laughs) life. It's about money and happiness. It's like, nobody's going to buy that book. Right. So in the same way as a speaker, we can't say like, well, do you want me to speak? Well, who do you want me to speak to? Well, yeah, I'll speak to that audience. Like, no, you can't. Right. So you really want to narrow it down and figure out this is why I do this. And this is what I hope the end result would be. Uh, this is who I choose to speak to. This is who my market is. And this is what I talk about. So really speaking is not that much different than any other type of, of business of just getting really, really clear on your answers to those questions. Uh, it's just applying it in the speaking context. Great. So why, who, and what? Now you figured out those questions and answers. Next step, making introductions, getting yourself, getting other people to learn your why, your who, and your what. <laughs> So then they can hire you to come and speak. Um, You know, I want to say that it's 
probably really difficult these days to stand out if you don't have any experience, but how do you convince someone, an institution, organization, an event planner to really bring you on if you've never had an opportunity to speak before? Yeah, there's a, there's several things that you can do. I, I think every, everyone has to start somewhere. I think it's always easy to look at speakers that have been doing this for years and years and years and just think, man, they're just so polished and they're like their jokes are so good. And they're just, oh, they have the audience just <laughs> eating out of the pot. How do they do that? It must just be natural. No, 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 I promise you there's plenty of times that they've spoke that it just bombed, that it just didn't go well. And so uh, the way that you get better as a speaker is you speak and the way that you get better as a writer is you write. And so, uh, so there may be times where you're doing a lot of free things, you know, just to improve on the craft of speaking. And so I mean, doing some local things that may mean that you are, uh, kind of starting with your own network and just asking around, Hey, I'm speaking. I'm starting to do some more speaking. Uh, if you are looking for a speaker, for your own business or your an event that you're a part of a committee for, or if you know of anyone, I hope you think of me. Uh, so just starting to kind of get the word out, like people, won't think of you as a speaker if you don't tell them that you're a speaker. Uh, this happens all the time with people I talk to that they're like, I just, I, oh, I didn't even know you're a speaker. It's like, well, people don't know you're a speaker if you don't tell them. So make sure that you're communicating that. The other thing that I would say is that uh, you two key marketing tools that you really need to have, especially if you want to start getting paid, is you have to have a website and you have to have a demo video, a website and a demo video. So a website, like if, it's like a, a modern day business card. Like if you have a website, you don't exist. So having a site that communicates that you're a speaker, who you speak to, what you speak about, some of those just basic pieces. Uh, and then the demo video, it's also can be known as like a, you know, like a highlight video or a sizzle reel uh, type of thing. But it's basically, think of it like a movie trailer. You know, you take like a 90 minute movie, you boil it down to two or three minutes. And in that two or three minutes, you have a really good sense of, of what the movie's about and who's in it and the theme and the plot and all that. And that's basically what you're trying to do. Uh, as a speaker with your demo video is before someone's willing to hire you and especially before someone's willing to pay to hire you, they just want to get a sense. Like if I bring you in, like, are you, are you good? Like, what are you talking right. about? You What's your style? Like? Yeah. 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 Cause you got to remember like anyone that is hiring you and putting you on stage in front of their audience, you are representing that brand. So they ultimately like really what a buyer wants is they don't want to be embarrassed. Like that's really what they want. Like if I, if I hire you and I bring you in and you just bomb, it makes me look really, really bad. So I don't want to do that. So I just want to, at least if I'm going to hire you and I'm sticking my neck out on the line uh, with my boss or the committee or whoever that's involved in the decision-making process, I just want to have a sense like, no, no, you know, I watched this video. I did my homework and it wasn't, I was just hiring this person because they told me they were good. No, no. Like I had something to actually right. view and see their work. So having a website, having a demo video really makes a big difference. Would you say too, that because of the, the, the gen, the era that we're in now with the internet and the ability to connect with people on a, on a whim, you could host webinars from your home. And if you can say, I have an audience of a hundred people show up and I gave this hour long or 30 minute talk on X, Y, and Z, does that count as a speech? Uh, ish. All ish. right. Okay. Uh, yeah. So it's, it's, it's better thing, right? It's better than just sitting at home and watching a Ted talk and thinking I could do that. No, no. The challenge is, and, and for news, you know this, that whenever you're speaking in front of an, uh, a live audience of a hundred people, it's very, very different than if you're talking to a computer and there's a hundred people who happen to be watching right. in the same way that recording a people ask, you know, can I, for my demo video, can I use, um, uh, me talking on a podcast or just the audio? It's like, nah, cause it's just, it's just a different environment mm-hmm. in the same way that, you know, uh, if you've been on some major media before, can I use that in my demo video? It's okay 
okay to use some clips of that for credibility. Okay, this person's legit because they've been on, you know, fill in the blank morning show. Uh, but the way that you talk one on one in a media setting is very, very different than the way that you would communicate to a group of a hundred or a thousand people in a live speaking setting. So again, it's better than nothing. I think webinars are really, really good just for practice, if right. anything. Because you just kind of get a sense of like what works and what doesn't. You kind of start to, the, again, going back to what we just touched on, the more you speak, the more comfortable you feel. So uh, webinar isn't like a, a perfect match, but it's better than nothing. Your training program is called Booked and Paid to Speak. We've gotten a lot of tips here already on the booking, how to make yourself marketable, how to uh, convince the event planners that you should be the one speaking at the event. Okay, let's talk about getting paid. How do you negotiate? How do you even know what the budget is? Because um, sometimes, you know, people approach me and they think I'm going to come talk for free. I rarely do that because my time is really um, valuable right now with so much going on. And while I would like to be all places, all times and do as much as I could for free, it's just not feasible for me. But um, how do you then know what's an appropriate amount of money to ask for? without being completely ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a several different factors that go into this. We'll, we'll cover a couple of them here. So uh, one of them is, again, going back to that question of why. Why is it that you want to speak? For, so for some people, like that example I gave the guy that does coaching, like for him, it doesn't necessarily matter what the budget is because he's not going to get paid that check. He's looking to pick up coaching clients or, or doing it for lead generation. So knowing that why makes a really big difference. So uh, while there's a couple different factors that go into it, um, your market is going to determine it a little bit, meaning that you can charge more speaking to corporations versus, let's say, nonprofits or to, let's say, high schools. Uh, your experience level, if you're a brand new speaker, you're just getting started, you're typically not going to be able to charge as much as someone who's been doing this for several years. Uh, but then your marketing materials also make a difference, uh, meaning that if your website looks like it was made by, you know, your your fourth grade nephew uh, and it just was thrown together. Uh, and but my fourth grade nephew is brilliant. Okay. If they're good, if they're good, they're the exception to the rule. But, uh, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to spend, you know, tens of thousands of dollars on a website or a demo video. It just means that your stuff needs to look sharp because they're looking at several other speaker sites. And so, uh, so your, their, your stuff is going to be compared to the, their stuff as well. So having said that, that is just kind of a foundation. It's not unrealistic to, to charge anywhere from, uh, anywhere from a thousand to five thousand, uh, for most people that are getting started. Again, depending on the, those different factors there. Uh, but if I, a thousand to five thousand is a good range. Now, how much budget does that organization have? Well, some of it, again, de- 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 depends on the event. It depends on the, the, the market, but I always just ask and I'm always amazed at the number of clients that just flat out tell me. So I have an idea in my mind of this is what my fees are, but whenever we're, we're having that conversation and we start to make the transition into talking about fees, I will always just straight up ask them, do you mind me asking what kind of budget you're trying to stay within? Do you mind me asking what kind of budget you're trying to stay with? And so with, with that, uh, it's going to tell me a couple of things. First of all, it's going to tell me if they even have a budget because they may come right back and be like, oh, well, we, you know, we don't have a budget. We never pay speakers. And so great. I, I, I want to know that right up front. Uh, or they may come back and say, uh, say, you know, we have, we have $17. What will that get us? It's like, not much, you know? So I want to have an idea of what that budget is. And it helps me to know, uh, if it's going to be a fit or not. Now, having said all that, Again, let me also come back and say that uh, there's there. It's okay to speak for free when it makes sense to speak for free. So don't just speak for free just out of the goodness of your heart. You can do that from time to time. If you want to do it in your backyard, just do some pro 
bono work just because you want to help or support a, you know, a nonprofit or a cause that you believe in or a friend or something like that. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but there's other reasons where maybe from a marketing standpoint, it makes sense to speak for free again, if you're clear on why. So again, we were talking about selling, um, books or, or, or products or services. Uh, maybe you want to go speak to an organization or a conference where there's a lot of decision makers there who, even though you spoke at that conference for free, uh, there's a bunch of people in that room who may be willing to hire you. So you may do something like that. Um, I'll give you a great example for Nush. Um, so the year, you know, you referenced FinCon earlier and I, let's see, you keynoted it two, two years ago, right? I, uh, yes, two years ago. I think so. So I, uh, so I keynoted it last year. So I, uh, I'm trying to think the third. So the year that you keynoted, I went and I spoke for free and I did a workshop for free. Now, again, on paper, it's like, okay, he spoke for free. Therefore, it, you know, he's not paid. didn't make anything. He lost money. But because of that, I continued to build a good relationship with the, uh, the conference planner there, built a good rapport with him. Uh, we got great reviews on the workshop and the session that we did. The free session that we did, several people from that had joined our course or, or hired us for coaching later. And because we got good feedback, uh, then the conference planner ended up hiring us the next year, this past year, uh, to be the keynote. So again, on paper, uh, I spoke for free, but because of that free engagement, it led to, you know, several thousand dollars worth, worth of business there. So again, just knowing that, uh, sometimes I think we always look at it like, okay, I went and I spoke and either I got a check or I didn't get a check. But the great thing about speaking is that it can be leveraged to generate revenue uh, in your business and a lot of other ways. Totally. It's happened to me countless times in my career where I've gone and I've given maybe a talk uh, just uh, because I was asked and I, there was no budget, but uh, maybe they maybe they sold books at the event or something. But then you never know who's in the audience, yep. right? You just never know. I mean, I literally had a woman email me from my email list. Hey, Farnoosh, you know, I work at this ad agency in New York. We have these lunch and learns. Would love to invite you to come and speak about when she makes more. Um, so I did that and they were kind enough to actually buy books, which was great. And so it wasn't free that I would have been happy just there, you know, having them sold some books. But then, um, I'm in front of an agency where they represent tons of clients, consumer brands. And through that, I've gotten a lot of great partnerships because they get to know me, hear me, like me, but hopefully, and they feel confident, more confident than to introduce me to their clients that are looking for people who say, um, are in the consumer finance space to help them with their branding, their messaging, their media. So that's been for me, just like, it was just such a wonderful seed to plant. Totally. And if I could piggyback on that for a second, like, yeah. uh, I'll give you one, another a quick example on that. I remember when I first got started, I was just starting to, to speak and I got, uh, invited to speak at this conference. Um, that was like a four or five hour driveway. They're going to pay me 500 bucks, you know, which at the time when you're That's getting your started, gas. You're like, yeah, oh, <laughs> oh, this would be amazing. But knowing like, okay, ultimately I'm going to break even on this, but that really, there was a small little event. Uh, it was a small little state conference. So I went and I spoke at that and, um, the wife of the national, executive director happened to be there. And I didn't know that. And so she came up to me afterwards and she's like, Oh, so-and-so is my husband. I was like, Oh my gosh, no way. You know? And so he, mm-hmm. she's like, I'm going to tell him about you. And he emailed me like a, a week later and hired me to speak at three of their national conferences that, that fall. Uh, and so again, like you said, it, you, you have no idea who's in the room. And the other thing you kind of touched on there that I think is really, really important with speaking is this is a relationship business and people do business with people they know, like, and trust. And so just like whenever I went and I spoke at FinCon that first time for free, 
part of it was I just wanted to build a relationship and, and, you know, PT, the, the event planner I've known for several years, but it's, it's just good to build that relationship because part of the reason that he's going to hire speakers and, and any decision maker is going to hire speakers again is not just because they're a great speaker, uh, but because of who they are off stage as well. Yes. So if you're a great speaker on stage, but you're a pain in the butt to work with, or you're pompous or you're arrogant or you're just a jerk or you're unorganized or sloppy, like you, you'll build a reputation that way. Definitely. You, know, and Parnish, you and I both know speakers who are great on stage, but nobody wants to work with them. No. And so you build that reputation. And so again, speaking is a relationship business. So true. I've uh, experienced firsthand those, those naughty people. Yes, yes. And they don't get called they back. Ah, they don't. Trips to the post office are never convenient. As an entrepreneur, time spent on growing your business is so money. So why not get postage right from your desk with Stamps.com? Stamps.com even gives you special postage discounts that you can't get at the post office. Discounts on first class and international, done and done. Here's how it works. Using your own computer and printer, click to buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter or package. Then just drop it in the mail. There's a reason why over 500,000 small businesses use Stamps.com. Even the So Money podcast sales team has taken advantage of Stamps.com. I've told them they need to get out a little bit more, but with invoicing, promotions, and books, you name it, Stamps.com has been an absolute time saver. And right now, sign up for Stamps.com and use my promo code SOMONEY for a special offer. You're going to get a free four-week trial plus a $110 bonus that includes postage and a digital scale. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in SOMONEY. That's Stamps.com and enter SOMONEY. So Grant, tell me a little bit about you. We want to turn the uh, conversation now to uh, shift it over to some financial questions as this is a money show. Um, And we've definitely covered a lot of territory with speaking, which I really wanted to do. And you were so, so spot on with your advice. Tell me a little bit about your financial philosophy, Grant. You're a dad of three. I love that you live in Nashville. Did you know that there are so many companies that are going to Nashville to start headquarters? Because uh, they call it, isn't the fastest growing city in the in the country right now as far as um, just job growth and people moving there. Um, but anyway, I digress. Tell me a little bit about your financial philosophy, your money mantra, if you have one. It is a wonderful place to be. Everybody needs to move. We actually, we literally just moved here about a year ago, but we, we love it here for sure. So I, uh, to, to, to back up a little bit, I, um, my, I grew up in kind of a middle class type of family. My parents were, uh, both pretty frugal. Like we, ne- we didn't have like a super extravagant type of, uh, of lifestyle at all. Uh, and so when my wife and I, when we got married, we were actually, we were high school sweethearts. So we, when we started dating, um, I was a freshman in high school. I was 15 and she was 17. Uh, so married an older woman. So proud of that. Uh, and so we, we dated for a while, got married. And when we got married, we had, we were kind of the typical traditional, you know, American couple in that we had had about $30,000 in credit card debt and student loans and car debt and just like the usual stuff. Uh, and so really we, we, for a while, we were just kind of like, you know, that's, this is the way it is. And this is the way everyone lives. Uh, and then eventually we were just like, this sucks. Like every time, every time we get paid, like we're having to pay someone else and we're paying someone more than what it cost us originally because of interest. And so finally we got really intentional about our money. Um, we started following, uh, some of Dave Ramsey's stuff. Uh, he was one of the first people we came across. And so we started living on a budget and paying off our debt and just doing like these basic common sense things. Uh, and it took us, took us about, a, about two years, but we paid off, uh, all of our debt. We've been debt free for probably 
seven, eight years or so at this point. Uh, so now, like when money comes in, we get to keep it. And I love that. And so I've always been uh, extremely, um, uh, I pay really close attention to our money. And so I think for a lot of people, it's just uh, numbers and spreadsheets and that kind of stuff. It's just intimidating and I don't want to mess with it. And if I just stick my head in the sand and I just ha- I don't have to think about it and I assume it just doesn't exist. Uh, but you have to be really, really involved in that. And so the the things that you pay attention to are the things that, uh, the th- and the things that you measure are the things that get your attention and get your, your focus. So for example, if you're wanting to, you know, if you're wanting to lose weight, uh, you know, and you're wanting to take care of your health and you need to be tracking your calories. You need to be tracking, uh, the steps that you take per day. You need to track your, your, your weight and weigh yourself. And you have to pay attention to those numbers. And the same thing is true with your finances. You can't just stick your head in the ground and assume that, you know, it's all going to magically work out. So, uh, I pay really, really close attention to stuff on that. Uh, we, we use, um, YNAB for our budget and we do a, a weekly budget that we, he, my wife and I work together on. Uh, and then even in our business, uh, we, uh, business does well financially, but we still are really conservative in what we spend. always want to make sure we have a strong buffer there and a strong um, uh, just cushion because, the, I mean, you well know the ebbs and flows of business. When it's, when it's good, it's really good. And when it's bad, it can be really tight. So uh, we always just want to play things safe. And, uh, and I tell you what, by doing that, it just it removes so much stress. Like you just feel like you can breathe in life and not having to, to worry about, you know, well, if we, you know, if we, if we go out to eat tonight, does, does that mean that we can afford utilities this month? It's like, no, no, no. Like we're, we've been really, really intentional with our money. We're budgeting. So we know where money is going. Uh, and as a result of that, it just, man, it just takes a ton of the pressure off. And again, I guess just to even tie this in, you know, the reason that we were able to move to Nashville about a year ago or so, uh, uh, I, you know, I've been self-employed for uh, about eight years or so, and we homeschool our, our kids. So hypothetically, we could live wherever. Uh, but we were just like, you know what? Nashville seems like a cool city. We've got a bunch of friends there, got a bunch of good contacts. So let's do it. And the reason we were able to do that was because we, we didn't have any debt. So it wasn't like, oh, man, I would love to do that. But I, I can't leave my job or I can't leave this place or I can't I can't make that change because I'm handcuffed to the mess that I've, I've created. So uh, by cleaning up that mess several years ago, it's made such a huge difference for us. I love that you were able to just move wherever you wanted. I find that location where you live, your geography so often dictates your ability to have financial freedom or not. Totally. You know, I mean, you just talked about it, but living in New York, I can say that, you know, while this is the field of my dreams, New York City, it's also expensive. And I wonder sometimes what would it be like if we lived um, in a Nashville or someplace like that where it's a lot more affordable? Um, what would you say for those of us that are considering moving, but maybe too scared or too insecure about it? Because it's it's a lot, you know, to imagine yourself somewhere new. It, it requires a lot of shifting. What was the hardest thing that you overcame? You said you already had like a community. Yeah, that's a great. That's helpful, but like there have to there had to have been some hurdles. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, and, and, to, for, for some context, uh, we, my wife and I, we grew up in Missouri, uh, lived there our entire lives, had never really lived anywhere else. All of our families there. And like I mentioned, because, um, you know, we homeschool our kids and I'm self-employed, like hypothetically, we had no reason to move. Like we had all of our families there, all our friends are there. 
the whole background is there. So there's really on paper, no reason to ever go anywhere else. Uh, and so I, I remember I was at a conference and met a couple guys that were here in the Nashville area and several people that are in kind of the online space. And you and I probably have several mutual friends that are here. And, and, uh, so I got to just like, dang, there's a lot of people here and there's huge, there's huge, huge value in being around like-minded people who are doing things similar to you and, and not only in business, but in life as well. Uh, and so I remember coming back from that conference, kind of mentioning it and passing to my wife, like, Hey, what would you ever think about moving to Nashville? And she's like, yeah, that actually sounds kind of cool. I, th- I think we should do that. So uh, it totally backfired. And now, now we're here. And so we've actually, at the time of this recording, we've been here almost exactly a year as of just literally a couple days ago. Uh, and it has been uh, so good. Like it is, I think there, there are times where we're kind of like, did we do something wrong? Because it's been much easier than we anticipated. And I think even going into it, like pre, like listing the house, telling people, answering people's questions, all of that stuff. Um, I think we always just kind of had it from the perspective of, let's say that we moved to Nashville and it just doesn't work. Like it's just not what we thought. Worst case scenario, you move back. Like it's not the end of the world. And I think, I think that's true, not just with a move, but with anything in life that sometimes we just view things as, as it's like this permanent thing. It's like, no, 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 like just, just try it. Like with a business, with a blog, with a move, with a podcast, uh, with a job, like just try it. Like what's the word, what is the worst that could happen? We moved to Nashville. It's not what we thought. We moved back. Ah, oh, well, we tried it and it makes for a good story. Uh, but we moved and it went really, really well. And it's been a great transition, not just for, uh, for myself and for my business. I would say in the past year, one of the biggest uh, reasons that we've had any level of success in business uh, for this past year has just been just the connections and the contacts uh, that we've been able to make. So you're exactly right that there, you do have that trade-off of, okay, if I'm moving to a different market, maybe the cost of living is going to be significantly different than what I'm used to. Uh, so if I'm moving to, you know, my brother lives in, in New York. He is a big wig over at BuzzFeed and it is so expensive to live there. I love going to see him and, and, and just seeing the city, but it's just crazy what he lives in and what he pays for that. Uh, but at the same time, like the opportunities for networking and, and connecting with other people that, that just, they don't exist other places. And so that's part of what you're, what you're paying for there. Uh, but I, I would say for us, um, it has been a phenomenal, phenomenal move. We've built new friendships. We've built new relationships. Uh, we, you know, still all have all, a lot of our family in Missouri and we just, we go back and visit them and they come visit us. There's plenty of people that function like that and they do just fine. So, uh, I really, I would ask like, what's the worst that could happen? And often I don't think it's anywhere near as bad as you think it could be. Well, I think that your mindset was made for success. I mean, the fact that you went into this, what could have been a really uncertain and full of risk move. I mean, cause any, any move geographically has, you know, uncertainty and hurdles, but I think that your mindset just positioned you for success because you just had that kind of spirited sense that like, okay, well, if it doesn't work out, we'll leave. I think what a great way to position and, and frame your, your mind because it really, it's not like you set your expectations low, right? But you just were like, sure. it'll be okay. And as long as right. you and your partner and we agree, like it's going to be okay. Yeah. It, it'll, it'll, you'll probably end up surprising yourself in, in the best of ways. So I feel like that question was just a subtle way of you asking for permission to move to Nashville. And we welcome Maybe, you with yeah. open you know, arms. It's like, I think about <laughs> even for me, like it's difficult to, not difficult, but like the thought of just moving to Philadelphia, which is like only a hundred miles away. Um, yeah, yeah. I would love to do that because I think that 
the suburban area out there is really great. Schools are great. I grew up there a little bit. I'm familiar. It's not too far from the city. So I feel like that could be very likely in our future and we could save money doing that. But then I think, oh gosh, what if I'm, what do I have to go in the city on a Wednesday? Well, then you know what? Just get on the train and go to the city on a Wednesday and then right. be back. So totally. I feel like sometimes you make things out to be harder than they really have to be. Oh, absolutely. I'll give you a great example. Like one, I, I travel and speak a lot. And so, uh, one of our hesitations was, uh, when we're, where we were living in Missouri, uh, I had like a, like a five minute drive to the airport. And so we, you know, it was just like, oh, just get to the airport, park you know, through security at the gate, like just in a matter of minutes. And I was like, oh man, if I, if we live out in the suburbs of Nashville, I got a longer drive to the airport <laughs> and. Then it, you know, Nashville's a bigger airport, so I got to park farther away. And there's all these things. And you're just like, like, really? Like, that's what would keep you is a drive every so often. You know, so like, like when you really break it down, like the, the, the trade off of, yeah. So from time to time, I have to drive a little longer and there's a little bit more traffic than what we were used to. But like, that's what would keep me from like, that just seems silly, you know, in this, yeah. in the scheme of things. We just get so used to our ways. That's really what it totally. is. You know, that's, totally. and just, it's, but as soon as you make, like me, I can't imagine getting up at 5am and working out every morning, but the mornings that I'm forced to get out of bed at 5am because my son's like peed himself <laughs> through right, and through, right. you Real know talk. what? After like 5.05, I'm good. I could like start my day. And I'm like, I just need to get over that five minute malaise between yep. five and 5.05. And if I could just do that, splash some water on my face. I could, I could just like start a business. I could start a second business. You know, those three extra hours (laughs) in the morning are crucial. Yep. Grant, what's been your, not to get too sad here, but what's been your financial failure of, of greatest, uh, your greatest financial failure? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I mean, I would say like when we first got married, uh, we, you know, having the, having the credit card debt was one of those things where you get it and everyone promises like, you know, well, we're all, we're only just going to put pizza on it. And you know, that pizza turned, you, you, you yeah, pay right. off the balance and then, you know, next thing, well, we only have a, it's only a $70 balance. We'll, we'll, we'll let it ride and we'll pay it off next time. And all of a sudden, like next thing you know, you look up and you're like, holy crap, like where did this come from? Like, how did we get this much in debt? And it's kind of like, uh, sometimes I'll speak about finance and, and I'll jokingly say that getting a credit card is, is almost similar to getting married. Like nobody stands at the altar thinking like, ah, this is probably going to end in divorce. This isn't going to work out. In the same way that like people don't get a credit card thinking like, ah, this is probably really going to jack my life up. And yeah, they don't think that, but it, it can happen, right? Um, doesn't necessarily mean that, that, credit cards are evil or that, that, I mean, we personally, we, we use credit card in our, in our business and our personal life and we pay it off every single month. And, uh, we have boundaries and rules that we follow with that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have to have those, those things in place. But, uh, so I would say for us, like just not paying attention to that stuff early on. Uh, and I would say in general, like I, I think with, with, with failures and mistakes, I don't know. I, I think oftentimes I just have, I try to have a short term memory on those things that we all do dumb stuff, but I don't want to like let that like just hang over my life, you know, and, and dictate and determine like that, that dumb thing that you did. Um, so I don't know, I'm just quick to forget those things and not worry about those things and just, just move on. And again, it's like, I don't know, I just, maybe that's just the philosophy in life that, that, um, uh, don't like, don't, don't dwell. 
Yeah. Don't, Move don't on. beat yourself up. Like life is short, you know, and enjoy it. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we've, we do dumb stuff with money, but <laughs> don't we you know, all? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, that means you're human, I guess, yeah. by the way. But, um, I've never had anyone on the show say that cre- getting a credit card is like getting married, but I'm gonna, um, I'm definitely going to tease that in the intro because that's pretty Still funny and, and true. I totally agree with you that credit cards are not, uh, in it, in and of themselves, they're, they're not evil. You know, it's just, it's how we use them that gets us into trouble. It's actually the people behind the credit cards, the, the credit card holders that often who don't know the boundaries who end up getting in trouble. And then we blame the credit cards. It's like, well, did you read the fine print? Um, all right, Grant, I know you have your home and your, you're multitasking today. You've got three girls at home and you're doing this podcast, which I really appreciate. So I really want to just wrap things up as uh, quickly for you. But before we go, tell me this. Um, what's one thing that you spend on that makes your life easier or better? Uh, spend on. Oh, that's a good question. Um, I would say the, uh, the activities that I do with my family, um, well, I'd say this, I'd say vacations is something that we spend money on. Um, not like extravagant, like we're not taking like these five star resort trips or something, but one of the things that we've always been really intentional about is, is just taking trips, not only just my wife and I, uh, but also uh, as a family. And we try to do those pretty fr- as frequently as possible, you know, so it may just be, you know, a weekend, uh, drive a couple hours away, you know, but being intentional to take those trips because those, those memories mean so much. And so we really try to, as often as possible, we really try to value experiences over stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, like you're always needing new stuff, but being able to take my kids, um, uh, on a trip or take them to the beach or, you know, my kids have been able to, to go to been on mo- more plane rides than most people have experienced in their life. And again, that's not like a, a pat on the back or anything. It's just, we've tried to prioritize that. Right. So yes. there's other things that we haven't spent money on and other areas that we are cutting corners on so that we can take trips. Uh, and some of it is even going back to the credit card thing. Some of it is just, uh, accruing those credit card points and miles and being really intentional about spending those mm-hmm. and using those for those, uh, those trips. So we've been able to take some really, really cool, fun trips. And, uh, we've got several coming up that we just, we just try to be intentional on those things. Cause it, uh, it, it it's, it's really creates those amazing memories for our, our kids and for our family. Grant, thank you so much. What a wonderful way to, you know, spend my, my 30 minutes. Uh, and I hope it's been fun for you. I know I've learned so much. Thank you for helping me in my career in these, in these 30 minutes. I've learned so much about how to just, uh, better leverage, uh, my, my past speaking experiences to get new speaking experiences, how to negotiate and also how to live a financial life with intention. We really appreciate you and wishing you continued success, Grant. Thanks for knowing. Appreciate you. Let me hang out with you. Thanks so much again to Grant. If you'd like to learn more about him, his website, grantbaldwin.com. You can also follow him on Twitter at Grant Baldwin. Go to somoneypodcast.com if you missed any of this, want to get the transcript, the downloading of the audio, or leave a comment. Uh, That's the website. And while you're there, click on Ask Farnoosh. That's the best way for us to get in touch and for you to ask me your so money question or your not so money question. I answer questions on Friday during the Ask Farnoosh episodes. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. Hope your day is so money.